0: welcome to Hoof and the Till, a weekly look at all things racing. Helen Thomas and Max Pressnell from the Sydney Morning Herald with you. And Max, we've made it. It's Derby Day at Flemington. You're in Melbourne, so all is right with the world.
1: Yes, all is right with the world, but I don't think Derby Day uh, has the impact it once had, Helen. Uh, Derby Day was always something special. Uh, I do think it's overshadowed by the Golden Eagle at Rose Hill today. Look, the Derby this century hasn't been what it was. It was once the hunting ground for great horses, budding champions. And now, perhaps because Australia is just dipping out of the staying scene, we're seeing it here. But I think there, there would be one, two, certainly only three horses this century that you would say were top liners or going to be top liners or could have been top liners. Now, against that, you look at the Golden Eagle. Last year, I wish I win. The year before, I'm thunderstruck. The year before, Colette, the winners. The, the inaugural one, Colton, will have no world beater. But every, every uh, major race will have a have a common year. But, oh, gee, I think the Victoria Derby's had a common century. So what am I doing down here? Well, at Flemington on Derby Day is a field of memories. And I just couldn't imagine being unless it was COVID or an outbreak of nebolic fever or something I just can't imagine going to a race course when the Victoria Derby's being run and not being there because it's been so good for so many decades and wow it's going through a lull it's still a good day's racing but I've got to concede I don't think it's any better if as good as Rose Hill Gardens today.
0: Well, I'm not far behind you, and we're about to speak to J.D. Hayes, who, of course, has one of the most favoured runners in the derby with Apulia. We'll also be talking to Simon Millam. You mentioned the Golden Eagle. He, of course, has Amelia's Jewel, the mare that's bounced back, he hopes, from a bit of a, a bug that was very difficult to identify. We'll talk to him about that. And also, Max, this may surprise you, but with all the money that's around for racehorses in Australia, with all the races we're talking about, the Group Ones that are on offer now, the bowl crop, in this country, and in fact most of the world, has declined significantly, like more than 30%. So we're going to be speaking to Bren O'Brien about that because he's crunched the numbers. The other person, of course, we'll be talking to is Corey Brown, who has ridden two Melbourne Cup winners. That's the other race we're going to talk about, Max, and we want to hear your views on who you think will win next Tuesday.
1: Yeah, but the point, Helen, is when you when you bring up these statistics and fall crops, it doesn't particularly interest me because I look at the strength of racing there are so many good things about racing today, particularly in Sydney. Well, I I think Sydney leads the way. Once upon a time, it was a pretty close race, Sydney and Melbourne. But now I think Sydney leads the way. And whether the foal crop is down, I'm not seeing it in the racing. I'm not seeing it in the the country meetings. I'm not seeing it in the provincial meetings. So, look, you look into it. I I would rather be talking to, to Corey Brown about the Melbourne Cup. I'd rather be talking to Corey Brown regarding the the great vintage of apprentice jockeys we've got in Sydney. Now, I don't know how they are in Melbourne. They might be just as good and just as promising. But it's been a long, long time since I've seen so many good young riders uh, going around so many riders of promise. And the point is, with them, they're they're now in a situation that they're going to get better. We're dipping out on the goat, the greatest of all time, Damien Oliver. Look, I don't know. I really don't know. And as you know, Helen. I go back to George Moore, I've seen Lester Pickett right at his peak and while I can't declare that Damien is the best of all time, I've never seen one better.
0: It'll be interesting to hear what Corey Brown has to say about Damien Max in that context, given this is his last derby, it is his last Melbourne Cup. Corey also had a little bit to say about the issue that just won't go away no matter how much many people in racing want it to go away and that is the whips issue. Of course, last week on Hoof, Shane Dye had a lot to say about what was wrong with the rule, and Corey doesn't disagree.
2: With the Caulfield Cup the other day, I I just think that is so silly. Like, it's a 2,400-metre race. We all know that the horses have got to start to be wound up at about the 800, 600. So, therefore, you're going to be, like, feeling for the persuader a lot further from home. But when you're allowed to use that whip every stride from the 100 metres, providing you're in contention and Mark are only used it three times from the 100 through the winning post because the horse is fully wound up. Like I think it should be just a common sense rule where if you're not in contention and they're not winding up, you don't use the whip. But to use it only 13 times, where I could we could use it 13 times in the last 100, but you're not into trouble. But yet, because he used it nine and then three after, or whatever it was from the 100, he got fined,
0: and we'll hear more from Corey Brown a bit later in the show. But right now, Max JD Hayes has joined us, and as I mentioned, he has a number of runners in the key races, the Group One races at Flemington on Saturday, and he's with us now.
3: JD to action the Derby Apulia by G looks well suited by the distance. You've you've primed him perfectly for this uh, this classic. How has he done this week?
4: Yeah, really pleased with him. It's a, it's a big ask going for the three weeks, backing up in a row. This is plan B. Um, he got himself in, in all a hot bother of a mess and tangled himself up in the gates and got himself scratched there. So we had to go to plan B and um, it's set a bit of a task, but he's a, a big, strong colt by Fiorente who seems to be thriving off racing and um, seems to be going quite well right now with his uh, peak performance on Cox Plate Day there so hopefully he can maintain that form and bring it to the derby and if he does he'll be right into it.
3: You've mentioned about him being hot and bothered now of course he's he has the benefit of a barrier blanket to assist him in the uh, uh assist him in the gates and earmuffs and do you feel that uh, perhaps he's you know with experience he's overcoming some of these bad habits?
4: I do believe so, and I think that was a bit of a freak thing what happened that day at Flemington. Um, He might have just been a touch fresh and well, feeling so good into the run. And um, they were a while loading there. He was stood in there for a long time and uh, sort of just come out of the blue, Mark said, and he hasn't put a foot wrong since, thank God. So they're just a little obstacles that we had to navigate on his path on the way to the Derby.
3: Of course, being by Ferrente, you wouldn't think the Derby journey would be any problem for him. In fact, it would be an advantage.
4: No, absolutely. His father, being a Melbourne Cup winner, um, I think he's going to eat up the 2,500 and he's out of a high shop mare too. So um, hopefully the 2,500 metres is right in his uh, sweet spot and he can even go a little bit further as he gets older.
3: Arkansas kid found a sweet spot last start at Caulfield. Can he maintain the trend at Flemington?
4: Uh, we think so. We've always had a high opinion of this son of Harry Angel. He, um Obviously, was a well-performed juvenile running third in the Blue Diamond. And uh, things sort of didn't go according to plan early on in the spring. We had him ready to go August, but uh, unfortunately, he had a bit of a virus. So we had to back off him, bring him back through the trials again. And then we produced him down the straight, and he had a heart fibrillation. So um, he's due for a bit of luck, and luckily, we were able to get him back on track with a good win at Caulfield. A terrific ride by Damien Oliver, and he gets his opportunity to go down the straight again if he's able to win it, he'll be a very valuable cult.
3: Yeah, well, you're taking on some, some silver tails from Sydney, like Shinzo, Cylinder, uh, Tis Invincible. They've all got very strong Sydney form. And uh, uh but nevertheless, uh, you're you're comfortable about that straight six at Flemington?
4: Yeah, no, very comfortable. He's trialed really well down the straight six before. Um, I'll just put a pen through his Previous attempt down there because of the heart fib And um, if you're an Arkansas kid fan I think you're going to get juicy odds about him Because as you rattled off a few of his rivals are Really, really top shelf sort of horses So we're going to be throwing the kitchen sink at him And hopefully they don't reply with the bathtub
3: I don't know whether you could refer to Barbie's Fox As a a, a real top shelf horse But by gee, she's she's been a, a good and consistent mare Certainly paid away And uh, she'll be going around in the Empire Rose, another Group 1 for your stable. And how do you assess her prospects?
4: I think you summed her up quite well. She's um, certainly consistent and paid her way. And she fronts up every time, gives you 110% and just continue to improve throughout the preparation. And we feel like she's deserved a tilt at the Group 1 and I don't think it's beyond her.
0: JD, you're sounding pretty calm and pretty relaxed. And given the excitement of Cox Plate Day when you nearly won that big race with Mr Brightside and the fact that you're going into this huge race day on Saturday with your two brothers what's it like I mean this is the first time you'll be at Derby Day in this professional trio how are you feeling you know in the hours that we don't see you we're not talking to you
4: no pretty uh cool calm and collected to be honest um we're very very lucky you really just see from the outside looking in us three boys are sort of just a window shop, but we're surrounded by terrific staff and we've got really good processes and World-class facilities and good horses in the stables. So, um, when you th- feel like you're ticking all the boxes at home doing the one percenters, um, a lot of what happens race day is out of your control.
0: I so, believe you've um, got a pretty good sister in the background there too.
4: Oh, the boss too. She's a she. She's the boss, and she's not involved in the horses, but she's a a very very involved in the family business as well. And all those kids are working together well. And uh, long may that continue.
3: do what about the family history at Flemington and the family history in the Victoria Derby? I think uh, your grandfather, Colin Hayes, was responsible for the probably the best uh, Victoria Derby winner I saw in Dulcify, a, a freak horse. And, of course, your father, David, he had his winners. Your uncle had a winner. But um, you're sitting in a good position to continue uh, this year.
4: Yeah, the, uh, the family tradition and the trainers before us at Lindsay Park have set us big shoes to fill, but in the same breath, we've been given every opportunity and off the back of their hard work have set us up with um, a world-class property up here at Yaroa and an established cl- client base and every possible opportunity to succeed. So um, they've sent a high, set a high benchmark, given us every opportunity to achieve it, but we've always said if we're half as successful as CS and Dad will be still quite successful trainers in our own right.
0: (laughs) I think that's a very fair summation, JD. Thank you so much for your time today on Hoof on the Till.
4: No, thank you for having me.
0: And all the very best on Derby Day at Flemington. Max from JD Hayes to Simon Miller because the other big, big, big race, in fact some might say it might even be bigger than the Derby, which kind of sounds sacrilegious, certainly worth a little bit more money, the $10 million Golden Eagle, the favoured girl is Amelia's jewel and Simon has care of her and expert eyes on her. Simon, good to have you back on, Hoof.
5: Great to be back on, Helen. Um, it's always uh, good to have a chat to because it means I've got a nice horse.
0: It certainly does mean you have a nice horse. She's a very nice horse, although she had a bit of an off day, didn't she, in the Turac last night, but she's, what, just had a little bit of a bug and she's back on even keel now?
5: Yes, yeah, uh, spot on. So um, pulled up out of the race and uh, went off her feed for a few days afterwards, which isn't her, and uh, it was a bit quiet and then there was a little bit of a low-grade bug floating around Flemington and she was part of it, unfortunately, but uh, she's bounced out of it now and it's all systems go.
0: Well, that's good to hear. And, of course, as long as you've ha- had us over here on the, the southern tip of Australia, there's been a lot of talk about which race she would go to, which race she wouldn't go to. A lot of people wanted to see her in the Cox Plate, but I think... One of your oldest buddies, Dean Lester, had you – put you on another path, didn't he, to the Golden Eagle?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure if he was around, he would have said, forget the Cox plate. Uh, one of the bits of advice he gave me uh, before he passed was you'll get it off at a, an Everest slot, but for a four-year-old mayor, it's pretty hard to do. You can only sort of have one grand final and either make it the Eagle or make it the Everest, not both. So I knocked back a slot on that advice and probably smart advice, and then um, now we're all systems go to the eagle and it's good money, isn't it? $10 million for four-year-olds, just unbelievable.
0: And I also can hear Dean saying you can do that this year and she can come back next year for the Cox Plate.
5: (laughs) Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he thought, whether I play a Cox Plate or an Everest next year because there's no doubt she's, she's really effective at sprinting if I train her to sprint, so. Uh, yeah, I don't know which way we'll play yet. Post the eagle, but we'll get through the eagle first, and then come up with our next move for the autumn.
3: Simon, uh, I've uh, pursued the, the saying: "There's a hundred ways a horse can be beaten and still be trying." A low grade bug—that's—that's that's just coming to the equation now. Uh, what do you? What would you do to to overcome and diagnose a low
5: grade bug? Max, good question. Um, Nothing popped up in the um, in the bloods, which was frustrating, and she was sound, but she was just a bit flat and not eating. So the vets just said, "Oh, she must just have a have a low grade bug." So I was like, "Oh, I've got three weeks between races, um, so I'll just pot her in for a week." And because we we're under no pressure, uh, we just had to wait for her to pick up and bounce out of it. And it took till Thursday to do it, and then after that, she's back to her usual self, breathing fire, but. I was in a bit of trouble. I got a bit nervous pre-race in the Manning yard when she was revving a bit high, and I, I put it down to the chopper above and the band that was nearer. And then subsequently, when she went well below par, um, I thought, "Oh, well, obviously it wasn't that, there's something else going on behind the scenes." So, um, yeah, it was, it's an interesting one, Max. So there's a few trainers at Flemington that have pulled me up since and said that it's sort of run through their barn as well. So. Um, just to be quiet, performance bad and not eating.
0: Interesting you say that, Simon, about the chopper though because when you think about it, these horses and some of them are quite young some of them are two-year-olds, three-year-olds, I know she's uh, older than that, but they've got a lot to cope with on these huge race days, don't they?
5: They do. I I suppose the, the ones that are racing those better races, they're generally beat around the block and they're good horses because they've got an engine but also they've got a brain to match so most of the good alls have taken in their stride, which makes your job a little bit easier. And, and they do get used to the crowds and, and um, the media. So, uh, But in this case, uh, we were a bit off before it started, unfortunately.
3: You've kept her in Melbourne. Um, uh, didn't uh, consider coming to, to Rose Hill uh, having a look earlier earlier this week?
5: It would have been tempting, Max, but the fact that... Um, it took her a while to get out of that two-rack run. I thought I'd just leave her in her own environment of Flemington where she's thoroughly enjoyed it. And I thought I'm better off reading the play within the within the parameters that I know she's accustomed to rather than chuck her on the truck and then try and read her from up there in a new environment. So I, it was a percentage play to just keep her here. and then she's enjoying herself. So I thought, oh, I'll just wait till Wednesday night and put her on the truck and love her there Thursday morning.
3: Simon, of course, um, Saturday's race is a $10 million race, but uh, you're not really racing for chaff bags in Perth either. Like, you know, she's earned $2.7 million up to date. So uh, she's obviously a, an outstanding mare and win, lose or draw on Saturday. Like, uh, she's been obviously a very valuable one.
5: Yeah, she's been a good money spinner, and, and being bought to uni as well, a Group One winning mare. So she's even a residual value through the roof. But it's incredible money that's up for offer, and you know it won't be an easy feat to go there and think you can win it. There's twenty other, there's nineteen other horses going against you in that race, so you'll need a bit of luck. And there, there's some handy horses in it.
0: And you're obviously not overtaxed navigating between the big races. Like, it's not stressing you as to whether you should have run in the Cox Plate last week or gone to the Golden Eagle or come back for the Everest.
5: Yeah, I thought I watched the Cox Plate last week and and it's my favourite race. I love it. You know, if you've got any chinks in your armour, you'll get exposed a long way from home. And I, I actually watched that race and even though it would have been nice to be part of it, I think when you look at the first three across the line, they're just warriors and they've been around the block a lot. And I just thought secretly to myself at the races at Ascot, I wonder if I would have got blown up trying to take on those big boys. Um, We'll never know, but I've got full respect for them and I just think I might have dodged a bullet.
0: Well, hopefully you'll be flying high on uh, Saturday and the Golden Eagle. And uh, Simon, thank you so much for talking to us today on Hoof on the Till.
5: My pleasure. Uh, Helen and Max, great to talk. And uh, hopefully I'm talking to you after the event.
0: Max, at the top of the show we touched on the fact that the foal crop, the number of foals actually born in Australia has dramatically dropped in recent times and I know that doesn't interest you much but certainly it interests our next guest, that's Bren O'Brien. He crunches numbers for part of his living and he's done exactly that, looking at the number of broodmares, the number of foals and the number of stallions in Australia and he's with us now.
6: Yeah, so if you look through, Helen, back from, you know, I guess that the foal crop peaked in about 1989 and it reached sort of twenty three thousand sort of six hundred around about there, and it 's almost halved in the thirty three years since it's now sort of it was last year i think it was just short of thirteen thousand twelve thousand nine hundred and sixty one so that's sort of part of a global trend, especially in the sort of i guess the major developed racing countries i suppose like like uh, the u s and also Europe as well that those numbers have dropped dramatically now it, it's interesting when you look about you know racing's never had as much money in it, particularly in Australia. That the uh, I guess the amount of horses that are that are being bred is actually lower than lower than ever, and I, I, there's a couple of reasons for that. And we can get into that in a minute, but it it is a fascinating sort of I guess counter to the the notion that you know racing's bigger and better than ever. And
0: it certainly flies in the face of the promotion, if you like, about you know it's never been easier to buy into a horse with all these big syndications, and some people buying in for as little as one percent of a horse, which is still pretty exciting if you get a horse to a to a major race day, let alone a ma- you know to win a major race. And yet it would seem that the numbers, well, the number of product, if you like, if you really want to be pragmatic about it, isn't as strong as it was, as you say, 20, 30 years ago.
6: Yeah, you know, exactly right. I, I think, like, like, I guess the first thing to probably talk about around that is that thoroughbred breeders have got a lot better at, at being more efficient in breeding their products. The days of people breeding, you know, the, the homebred horses and all that sort of stuff has gone gone by the wayside to a certain extent. Uh, and the volume of horses bred at sort of commercial levels much higher. Um, whereby obviously those other sort of homebred-type horses, breed-to-race breed type people, has dropped off dramatically. And what that means is that probably from an efficiency point of view, from a commercial efficiency point of view, they're much better at, at identifying which horses should be breeding to um, uh, in terms of broodmares, which is why the broodmare numbers have also dropped significantly. In fact, you know, if you look across that same time period I mentioned before, which is for the last 35 years, you yeah, know, it's fallen 53%, uh, the amount of broodmares, active mares in Australia, which is quite significant. It's actually more than the foal crop. I'm, one of the reasons, one of the nuances is why it's, why it's fallen more than the foal crop is because we've actually got a lot better at, um, at getting mares in foals. So the, the amount of mares actually producing uh, foals has, has risen, so the requirement for the volume of mares has probably fallen as the foal crop's fallen as well. And then and then there's also stallions as well. So the amount of stallions standing in Australia has dropped sort of, you know, 48%. It's 522 last year. 20 years ago it was, you know, 1,200, you know, close to 1,200. So yeah overall i guess what has happened is that the industry has contracted in terms of the the volume of horses being provided but the commercial value of those horses is higher so there's an there's no argument to make that you know they're much better at making a buck out of this thing but whether that's good for the you know the volume of horses and whether that's good for the diversity of the breed and all that sort of stuff is, a, is another argument i suppose but it is a very interesting trend and one that probably a lot of people aren't aware of
0: Okay, Max, we've been largely focusing on the racing at Flemington and Rose Hill on Saturday, and why not? It's Derby Day, it's Golden Eagle Day, but I reckon we should also try and look a little bit further ahead to the first Tuesday in November, and, of course, that's next Tuesday with the running of the 162nd Melbourne Cup. Our next guest has actually ridden two winners in that race, so he can talk about that, and he can also talk about what's in store on Saturday. Corey Brown is who I'm referring to. And Corey, welcome to the podcast.
2: And good morning, guys. How are we? Corey, uh,
3: one of the uh, more intriguing aspects of, of this wonderful day's racing at Flemington and Rose Hill uh, this week is uh, the GOAT, greatest of all time, Damien Oliver. Now, you've ridden against the, the greats of our time. How do you rate Damien Oliver?
2: Max, he's, he's definitely right up the top for me, just to hold his consistency for. What, 30 something years? Um, I remember as a young kid, 16 year old kid, coming to, to Rose Hill, and Damien was well on his way. And he was riding Scalachi at the time. And I remember going down and sort of like going into the jockey's room and just to see Damien Oliver, because I was a country kid. I'd never even been to Sydney before. So when I first arrived into Sydney and to see these jockeys um, and sort of be rubbing shoulders with them, I, I couldn't wait to sort of see Damien Oliver and just, you know, to meet him. Um, I think back over the years and his group one record speaks for itself um yeah for me he's he's definitely right up there with the best
3: Corey, uh for a country kid you have you've done pretty good like you've won the melbourne cup on shocking and rekindling the melbourne cup this year i know it's a little distant for you you you'll be in sydney you uh give your commentaries uh expert commentaries too might i add uh pre-race uh in sydney races but If you had your choice this year, what would you be riding in the Melbourne Cup?
2: Max, I keep going back to last year's winner, gold trip. I thought his run in the the Caulfield Cup was outstanding. It's just a shame that Mark Zara, his last year's rider, um, knew him too well and sort of shut him out of it and didn't give him a chance to gather momentum with a big weight. Um, And then he got around the valley. I know it's going to be a a massive effort to compete in those three majors over over those sort of couple of weeks or few weeks. But um, I, I don't know. I just keep coming back to him. I know he's got decent weight, but he's proven at the distance. He's, he's formed this time in as just outstanding. Yeah, I, I just keep coming back to last year's win a gold trip.
3: I think you ought to get some medical attention, mate, because I'm um, thinking <laughs> along the same lines. But Mark Zara, uh, who won on him last year and who was uh, on him in the in the Cox Plate, he's uh, he sacked him. He, he doesn't feel that he's... Uh, he said he's a good horse on firm ground, but um, he said firm ground is not as best as he can be. What do you think about that? Uh, do you do you think the firm ground is a major aspect uh, in Tuesday's
2: race? Oh, Look, if, if, if that's the only excuse he's using, I think he's clutching at straws, Max. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of horses, Melbourne Cup time would prefer a little bit of cut out of the track because we've got that European form and, Look, well, I don't think that's a major a major concern for me. Um, I, I go back on his again, his Caulfield Cup and his, his Cox Plate. Like the tracks weren't they weren't getting their toe in that far on those tracks. And and as we you know, Mooney Valley, the way Mooney Valley races, it always races on the firm side anyway. But that would be a small blip on my radar if I was you know if I was searching for rides,
3: Laurie. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, your expertise is noted looking at horses be- before the race now. The Golden Eagle on Saturday uh, promises to be an outstanding sprint. Now, has there been one that has been coming along that's caught your eye that said, Well, this horse will be 100% spot on? And I appreciate the fact that you're going to have newcomers that you've never seen before, but uh, uh, what what will you be looking for in particular in the Golden Eagle at Rose Hill?
2: Uh, Max, uh, that's that's a really good question. You know, in the yard, like you can look at obviously paper form, and uh, on paper form, I really like. A Y five O. I just, I'd like to be riding a Y five O. I just think he's he's a horse. He's just about to make his his a uh, real presence felt.
3: Corey, you uh, had to retire prematurely with a, a back injury, but subsequently you've you've taken over the apprentices in New South Wales, and it's it's been a really a, a superb era for for apprentice jockeys. Tyler Schiller, Zach Lloyd, Dylan Gibbons. What's the key to these very, very good jockeys?
2: Yeah, look, I, I can't take full credit for those sort of boys that you've mentioned. Um, I still have a lot to do with them, um, obviously talking to them, race mornings and stuff like that. But this, the proper jockeys that have just come through and all of those names that you've just mentioned, Max, I don't know, they're just well ahead of themselves. They're well above their years mentally as well as as, well as like ability. But for me, it's actually created a bit of a drama i I'm just – sort of worked it out the last couple of weeks. We've had a lot of, um, when I say it's created a drama, they're six months ahead of where they really should be. They wrote out their claims so quickly in Sydney, like riding 70 winners a season, you know, that's unheard of. So now I've got this gap or everyone's got this gap of where um, Dylan and Zach are riding, you know, without a claim, but we've got the provincial apprentices being pushed from the provincials, which they should be there for another good six months. They're being pushed into the city because there's no one there to claim. There's no, you know, like, yeah, like we've got Amy McLucas and young uh, Madeline Owens, who's probably six months in front of where she needs to be, but it's just because these boys have done so well over the last 12 months, it's actually stretched this gap um, for these kids. And it's it's making it hard for trainers um, to get these three-kilo kids because the ones that they're getting, they've probably not had a, quite enough experience at the provincials yet to come into the city, but they're still, they're still holding their own. But yeah, I don't know what it is, but I mean, obviously Dylan Gibbons and Zach Lloyd, they come from racing families. So they've been in racing all their lives. So they've had a little bit of a, a, a bit of a head start, but it's just great. The head on their shoulders, Max's. They're, yeah. They're like 30 year old jockeys on, you know, 21 year old bodies. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It makes my job very easy. But it's
3: a job it should give you a lot of satisfaction because uh, you probably came up in the time, and I remember the time when apprentice jockeys were mainly cheap labour. Those that could uh-huh. ride, had the natural ability, they could get to the top. But, look, I've seen so many outstanding apprentices. that have been has-beens at 23, yeah. and I think Tyler Schiller's around about that now, and he's just starting to boom and show what a
2: well, what an outstanding rider he is. Yeah, without a doubt, Max. And you know, going back to the um the cheap labour, it was you know like and uh, with Mr. Velandis has put a cap on it. You're only allowed to have two apprentices. But I remember when I first came to Sydney, Jack Denham had five and six apprentices at some stages, and obviously the Theo Greens and everything like that. But yeah, it's it's amazing. And I don't even think that they've gone to the next level yet, Max. I still think they've got a lot of ability yet to expose um, with Tyler, especially. I mean, he's still got a little bit of tidying up to do with his style and things like that and keeping horses a little bit more balanced. And then you've got the young, you know, like Zach Lloyd, who's, and this is going to be a big statement, but Zach Lloyd could possibly be Australia's next sort of Frankie de you know, and it's not just because of the Godolphin blue, but you think about it, he's only like early twenties or 20 and he's riding for one of the most powerful stables in the world. And yet they're they're willing to put him on directly behind J Mac, who's vastly shaping up to be Australia's by far best ever jockey, as far as like points on the board. So yeah, it's it's just it's exciting watching them. It's very fulfilling. Um, I've always had a really keen interest in the kids. Like even when I was riding, like I was always trying to help. And I always said I'd love to have my own academy when I did finish riding. But um, yeah, it's very rewarding when you see these young kids wanting to be, you know, like the best and really working hard to get there.
0: Corey, we can't let you go without asking about what some of the jockeys we've been talking about will be feeling right now on this weekend in the lead-up to the big ride in the Cup on Tuesday, next Tuesday. You've ridden two winners. You've ridden in the race more times than that. What's it like from this Saturday on, psychologically, emotionally?
2: On so many different levels, it's going to be, you know, so many emotions because we've got young Dylan Gibbons going down to compete in his first Melbourne Cup, yet we've got Damien Oliver competing in his last. The feeling for me is going to be, yeah, really, again, so we always use that word surreal. Um, but it, what runs through your body from the next, you know, sort of few days, once that barrier draw comes out on the Saturday, um, all that preparation that you've done getting there, it, it's a, I always say that the, that Melbourne Cup feeling. If I could bottle it and give everyone a taste of what the feeling you get, um, it'd be priceless. You couldn't put a price on it.